Good morning. It's good to see you here. Welcome to those of you joining us online today. Glad you're joining us. I tell you what, if Aaron would have said that was a you know, requirement for kids ministry, that thing would have been like a hot potato going through our, our, our people. Ah, oh, I didn't catch it. You caught it. Um, so we're kicking off this fall series from Romans chapters 13, 14, and 15. Um, I've been looking at this now for probably six, seven months. And if I were backed into a corner and someone said to me, in one word, summarize Romans 13 and 14 and, and 15, what would be the one word I would use? It would be practical. It's just such practical scripture. Thus, the name practical Christianity is what we're calling uh, this series. And I want to reiterate what Pastor Aaron just shared. Make sure you get a book. Yeah, and make sure you go through this in whatever means works best for you as a follower of Jesus. But by participating this way, it's going to be much, much, much more impactful for you, amen, than just listening. So by, by doing this and taking it home, I, I pray that you, you go on the spiritual journey, amen, of really putting into practice some basic truths of, of the Bible. Uh, I just want to uh, give you a quick overview of the series that we're embarking upon now for the next three months. For two weeks, we're going to look into the topic matter of authority. And then after that, we're going to look into love, a debt you owe. Then we're going to go to the next message. It's called wake up, see the signs of the times. And the next message is live in light of the, of the times that we find ourselves in. The next message is get what matters in life. Um, the next one is don't be a bump. Don't be in the way of other people. Uh, then the next one, there's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. Uh, be considerate of one another. Then we're going to talk about unity, how important it is to be one in God's body. That's God's relational goal for us to be in unity. And then we're going to talk about the God of hope. Anyway, I didn't cover them all, but I gave you kind of a smorgasbord uh, look into what we're going to cover for a few weeks here. And as I said, Romans chapters 13 through 15 is so, so practical. Um, enough introduction. Let's get into this first message on authority. Uh, we're going to use Pastor Aaron's question from last week as kind of our governing question for the next several weeks. Uh, what's going to kind of drive us and, and the question we're going to seek to answer each week. And so the question is this, how can we practically live out our radical identity as Jesus followers in a transformative way. That's what we're going to constantly address here in these messages. How can we practically live out our radical identity as a Jesus follower in a transformative way in our culture. Amen? That should always be a question that's driving you and me as a follower of Jesus Christ, is how can I just practically do this Christianity? How do I live it out? How do I follow God no matter where I find myself? And so that'll be the question that drives us. Last week, as Pastor Aaron was wrapping up Romans chapter 12 and at that short little three-week series on that chapter, he just got into this huge amount of big thoughts. And that's why he had that part of that chapter, because I could give it to him. And so, you know, what do you do with these thoughts like love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, uh, faithful in prayer. And then it goes on to say, when you're persecuted, bless those who persecute you. If possible, live at peace with everybody. And, and, and you know, it just kind of goes on and on. It, what, what 
12 does is give us this huge amount of theological, deep kind of conceptual thoughts about God. And then we get to 13, and it's like Paul says, now here's how you do it. Here's how you begin to live these kinds of ideals and these kinds of big, huge biblical truths out in a very practical way. How many of you have an authority in your life? Raise your hand. Every single person should be raising their hand right now, right? Okay, let's just do this. I'm not going to ask you a question. Just raise your hand. Every single person that raised their hand has an authority in their life. You do, you do. Every single one of us deals with authorities. And so what I'm going to share with you today is going to be super relevant to your life. Here's what I ask you to do. Open your hearts to hear what the Spirit wants to speak to you. Don't, don't argue. Don't do the, yeah, but what? Don't do that. Just listen to what is going to be shared today and begin to ask God, how do I indeed live out my Christianity this way? I want to give an overall kind of scripture that's going to set the tone for the next two weeks. It's actually from 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what this says. Listen without any defense. Just listen to what it says. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's what? What? Slaves. So are we in authority to somebody all the time? Yeah, always to God. We're his slave. Show proper respect for everyone, to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So that's kind of our overall tone for the next two weeks, okay? That, that we're going to look into the subject matter deeply here that, that Peter's talked about. And Paul brings us to that very same kind of thought process in Romans chapter 13. Let me give you some background before we get into uh, the Romans 13 reading this morning. Um, before Christianity... Uh, became, you know, a religion, uh, a faith, there was Judaism. And Judaism was permitted in the Roman culture in a tenuous kind of way. It kind of depended on the situation. It was always a little bit iffy whether they would be permitted to practice their faith like they wanted to practice their faith. So that position was not all that secure. At any moment, an edict could be made that would remove their right to meet and all that kind of thing, okay? So, get this. Along comes Christianity. It's a pretty radical faith. The Romans saw Christianity as a sect of Judaism. Now, Judaism is being associated with what? Christianity. And the Judaism people, the Jews didn't want that. They didn't want to be responsible for this new kind of radical uh, uh, faith. And so Christians could not expect, as a subset of Judaism, in a Roman culture to be treated very well by their government. Amen? They could not expect any kind of preferential treatment. And added to this background information was this. Christianity was suspected to be a seditious group. A group that stirred people up against the government. When Paul visited Thessalonica, the people said there, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here. 
That was the reputation of early Christianity. And Christians were often blamed for social disturbances. In addition now, get this, in addition, what did the message of Jesus do? So say you were uh, an idol worshiper and you found the Lord Jesus Christ. What would you do with your idols? You would throw them out. And guess what? There was businesses associated with making all these idols. And they would begin to lose their business because you became a Christ follower. And they got mad about that and that stirred them up. And they were also against this Christian movement. And so Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 13, get all this background information. Be aware of what's going on. And be careful in your relationships then with the authorities. There's going to be enough persecution against you the way it is. Amen? That's what he's saying. You're going to be persecuted. Don't give them more reason to do that. Especially don't have inappropriate rebellion against authorities be the reason that you're persecuted. Amen? So that's kind of the background of Romans 13 in the background of some of the book of, of Romans. Um, I've heard so many think this is a reality that will never work out in life. That's so self-centered on our part when we say that. Because when Paul penned these words, he was under the ungodly authority of the Roman Empire, and soon to come on the scene was this crazy man named Nero. And Paul, um, you know, had to deal with these kind of people. So listen to Romans 13 now. It's a very succinct Summary of what I just read to you from 1 Peter, okay? It's just very succinct. Listen to this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So here's our big thought. Submission to the governing authorities should be the norm for the believer. It should be the default setting for the believer. Amen? Amen? I don't get a lot of amens on this point. It should be our normal mode that we can do most of the time, okay? Submit means this, to place oneself under in an orderly fashion. So when, when we say submit, it means that you're just following in an orderly fashion under that authority. So let's just speak to the elephant in the room right now, because I know it's there. What do I do with a scripture like this if I have an ungodly boss who wants me to do ungodly things, or I have an ungodly government that's anti-God and wants me to do all these ungodly things, or whatever may be the case, we come up with all these scenarios. Uh, what about an authority that's basically saying for me to violate what I believe the Bible tells me to do? Okay. When your authority, whether it be a boss, or a civil authority, or a national authority, whatever it might be, clearly asks you to violate God's law, then you must follow God. Amen? But understand this. Submission means you do it in an orderly fashion, and you willingly put yourself under the consequences of that decision. Amen? I'm not getting as many amens here. 
I have a commentary that said, if a Christian conviction, if a Christian's convictions does not allow compliance with an authority, then he or she must accept the consequences of refusal of compliance to that authority. So we who love and follow Jesus should do everything possible to right wrongs, amen? Especially if we have the freedom to do so. We should actively work towards that end. But I'm going to tell you something. At times, you're going to be persecuted. Amen? And it might be by human authorities. And you have to put yourself under that authority, even if they're wrong, in, in the sense that you'll take the consequences they meet out to you for being a Christ follower. Amen? This is a huge biblical principle. It's all over in the Bible. Paul merely puts it down in Romans 13 in a succinct, very clear way. Know this, the very authorities that Paul's talking about here, uh, submitting to, would behead him. They killed him. But Paul said this, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Paul had that perspective. And so he submitted to his authorities knowing that these very authorities would probably kill him someday. But Paul wasn't worried about that. He said, the moment, every moment I breathe is a moment to make Christ known to people. And when I die, I'm with Jesus. Amen? That's what he was saying. So what really can they do to me? And that was his perspective. You know, I'm going back to that, that question. You know, how can we, who have a radical identity in Jesus Christ, be a transformative influence in our culture, right? It's... By this means, frequently, folks, it's, it's by following God in a very submissive way and being submitted to our authorities and taking consequences that frequently are wrong. Amen? But you know that you're under God's authority and you have to submit to the human authorities and they're responsible then back to God. Um, boy, this goes against our human nature, doesn't it? Even as I share this, I'm going, ooh, I don't know about you. This is great on me. I remember here a couple months ago, uh, a few months ago, going through missions, uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, late at night, and I was speeding. <laughs> I won't even deny it. I wasn't even paying attention. And a police officer pulled me over, and the speed limit in the town was 45. I'm sure I was doing 65. I wasn't paying attention. I was talking with my wife, and she's lovely, and it's her fault, and you know, I was just caught up with her loveliness. No, I just, anyway, anyway, so I'm just not being attentive at all. And I looked down and I said, oh, rats. As soon as I looked down, I knew I'm in big trouble here. You know what I mean? And so, and in missions, there's four signs throughout the town saying 45 miles an hour. And the cop reminded me of that. I know that. I just wasn't paying attention. So then he graciously said, I will just write you a ticket for only 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, which was still a couple hundred bucks, right? And I'm muttering, blah, blah, blah. And Vicky says, thank the man, thank the man. I said, I don't feel like thanking the man. We're having this conversation in the car. You know what I mean? And so, so oftentimes our true heart is revealed in those kind of moments. He was the authority. He was in the right. I was in the wrong. I could say it now because I'm not mad. At the moment, you're mad. And so oftentimes God puts us in those moments to see will we really submit to him and to our human authorities in order to be ones that have a transformative influence in our culture. Amen? So let's talk about three whys for submission, okay? Let's talk on this. And let's just uh, get at some of the, the, the thoughts behind this kind of a, a big principle. 
Christianity thrives when Jesus followers have to make hard choices to follow him. That's when Christianity thrives. It's when we have to make hard choices to follow him. I've been saying that for the last year and a half in the middle of this pandemic is that, you know what? God allows these things to happen sometimes. So we make hard choices so that we follow him and bring glory to his name. Think about the other church, you know, the the founder of the church, Jesus is crucified. That's not necessarily a great start to something. And most of his immediate followers were martyred right away. Yet by 300 AD, the very system of governance that was martyring him and his followers has a 180 degree turnabout, right? And that Christianity becomes a state religion, which I, I don't think you want to do that personally, but that's what happened, okay? What, what brought that change about? It was brought about by a whole bunch of Christ's followers who had a radical identity in Jesus Christ, who were submitted to God first and foremost, and also were submitted to their human authorities and following him in such a way that they became a transformative influence in culture, amen? And the very culture that was so radically against Christ now said he was the law of the land. That's how this works. Submission is a place of great power and influence. Um, Jesus does not call you and me to an easy life. Amen? Amen? He doesn't call us to comfort. Quite frankly, I don't know if he really cares that much about our comfort. He loves us. That doesn't mean he wants us comfortable. I think he wants us uncomfortable more than he wants us comfortable. But what he calls us to is a right life, a fully devoted life, a life dedicated to him no matter what. And, and, and if we will give ourselves to Jesus in this kind of way for all eternity, we will be glad we did, amen? Because this life is but a vapor. It's a midst. It's here and it's gone. It's so short. And so some of the things I'm talking with you about today transcend momentary kinds of thinking. And we've got to become eternal perspective people. Let's go to reason number two. Followers of Jesus are called as much as possible to live within the governing authority system they are under in order to have a transformative influence by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. And we're to see beyond the momentary and see the eternal. And I want to tell you something, friends, in Jesus. When we get all wrapped around the axle with, you know, issues of our day, and we start getting crazy and going ballistic on those kinds of things, spending all our energy in that regard, you know, we sacrifice our voice to speak into the things of eternity, to speak into those issues that really matter. We may win the day, but we lose the ultimate battle. And we have to be ones who have this bigger perspective on life than most of culture. We need to be bringing that, that voice into culture, okay? We have to understand we're this transformative influence and we're to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, three, I'll just state this because this is what scripture says we just read. All authorities have been established by God. And Paul further notes that the one who rebels against such authority is actually rebelling against what God has instituted. And so what, what I think we're really getting after here and the, and the thoughts behind all this, I think that Paul's getting at is be on guard against having a rebellious attitude. We just have to be on guard because I tell you what, it's a natural human inclination 
to demand rights and be in rebellion. Amen? We don't have to work hard to think that way. How about you guys? I don't have to work hard at all at that. It comes supernatural to me. How about you? Someone tells me what to do. I say, tell me the 10 reasons why. Do you, do you think that way? I don't want to do that. It just, it could be for my best good, right? But my natural inclination is I don't want to be told what to do by anybody. Amen? How about you? And that tell you, I tell you what, that's not biblical at all. No matter how we couch the terms and what we want to say, it's not a biblical uh, a concept at all. So let's do a little exercise. I want you to be super honest in this exercise. I have four questions for you to think about, and you can answer them or just stare at me if you want. I don't really care. But do whatever you want here with these. I would suggest that you talk to somebody else and ask them how they think you're doing in, in regards to these four questions to probably get the more accurate answer. Okay, but here we go. Listen to these questions. How do you do in submitting when it comes to family, school, work, sports, civil government? I could have wrote in there local and national (laughs) and church. How do you do in those areas? Is there one place of glaring deficiency? Vicky was 100% right. She told me I should have thanked that police officer because he could have given me a $500 ticket, right? And in this mercy, he made it lesser, and I was utterly wrong. I was just frustrated because I normally don't speed that much. I wasn't paying attention. Although oftentimes she says, "Hun, you're going about 20 miles off. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. So, you know, it's called attention deficit disorder. No, anyway, I'm talking. If you follow what I'm saying, right? I just don't pay attention in these big trucks and stuff. They're so smooth. I'm making excuses. All right, here we go. Let's go to number two. How do you do in submitting to a person who has what I would call direct authority over you? That professor that's in your class, that coach that's talking to you in the heat of a moment, a ref when they make a call that you think is bad. How do you do? How do you do with direct authority? A boss who just grates on you. How do you do in that situation? Which brings us right to number three. Do you demonstrate respect for one in authority over you even when you dislike that person? Now we're starting to get someplace. Are, are, you, are you one that's willing to do that even if you don't like that person? And number four, are you able to separate issues? of authority from, you know, matters like personal differences or dislikes and disagreements and envy and ambition and all those kinds of things. Are you able to, you able to go into a situation and say, oh, okay, I've got to separate this out, that what I, 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 I'm actually being overly ambitious here and this isn't right on my part and I need to submit to this authority or whatever. You follow what I'm saying on this? How do you do in these kinds of areas of your life? So some self-awareness is really, really important here in this issue. Um, now, ideally, authorities and government officials and whatever, they're put in place to uh, protect and to serve, right? I- ideally. Unfortunately, we know that we're anything but ideal in these situations. Amen? So I'm going to say this again. When a governmental law or a decree violates the Bible, but it has to be a clear violation, okay? All right, I see a lot of people saying, well, this violates my religious liberties. No, it honestly doesn't. You're taking an awful lot of liberty here to get to that conclusion. You have to be super honest and super transparent with yourself on this. Uh, then you've got to follow the Bible. 
But understand, you're probably going to suffer some consequences, right? From that authority. You're probably going to suffer. And that's just part of the Christian experience. Um, I, I think this is one of the biggest unknown themes of the Bible that we're talking about today. We love to talk about love in a church. And we love to talk about God's grace, empowerment. We love to talk about those kinds of things. But I think this subject matter that we're talking on today has more potential than most that I know of to transform us into something we ought to be, okay? So I, I'm sharing this today with, without apology because God has called us to this radical identity in Jesus Christ, amen? So that we can have this transformative influence in our culture. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a succinct summary of Paul's thought from Romans 13. I love Romans 13 because it's such a succinct, it's a succinct little you know, thought process on a huge, constant biblical theme. And that, that's what I love about the New Testament. Frequently, there's these pithy, super succinct, succinct sayings that if we'll grab a hold of them, they become life-changing, okay? Do you like succinct? I love succinct. I don't like wordiness. Sometimes I can't remember what I said in the last message because it was so wordy. So anyway, succinct is our friend. So talking on the subject of submission, Paul gives us this biblical principle. So Romans 13 reveals a principle that's illustrated throughout the Bible. Here it is. The follower of God who submits to authorities often experiences the power of God. Submission, power. Submission, power power. Those frequently go together. Let me illustrate this for you with several Old Testament examples, and I'm going to go through these fast, but I want you to see that there's a pattern to this, that what Paul says here is illustrated all throughout the Bible. So beginning in Genesis chapter 1, not Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, just the book of Genesis, um, we read how Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Now, Joseph was his father's favorite. He got a coat of many colors. A lot of us know the story. His brothers are jealous. So they sell Joseph into slavery. And Joseph, we're told, ends up in Potiphar's household. So he goes from favorite son to servant. And he's not embittered. We don't read about him being embittered. And we're told this. The Lord was with him. And Joseph serves Potiphar's household extraordinarily well. So much so that Potiphar turns the whole household over to him, right? Everything thrives. But unfortunately, Joseph has a problem that many of you have. He's just very handsome. And Potiphar's wife has the hots for him, right? There's no other way to say this. That's what's going on. So she starts hitting on this poor boy. And he runs. He flees. He does everything you should do, right? And at one point, she just falsely accuses him of making advances against her because she's, she's mad. And so Potiphar gets really upset with him and sends him to prison. How would you do in that situation? I'd be mad. I think a lot of us would feel like a victim. I think we'd end up going to the bitter side of life. Joseph doesn't do that. We're told that God was with him. Are you noticing this pattern? God is with him. And he serves the jailer really well. So much so, the jailer puts him in charge of everything. And we see that Joseph is experiencing the power of God in submission to very ungodly authorities. Because Potiphar wasn't godly. The jailer wasn't godly. Amen? They didn't have his, you know, I'm sure they didn't have Joseph's best interests at heart. Well, Joseph had their best interests at heart in the way he served. So then he gets elevated to the second position of all of the land next to Pharaoh. Do you think Pharaoh was godly? No. No. I want you to see this. 
And God had a plan all along because God knew a famine was going to come on the land and that Joseph's biological family, the, the people of Israel, would perish. And Joseph was placed in a position in Egypt so that he could aid the survival of his family. And God had this plan all along. And Joseph ended up knowing that. See, we don't know the plans that God has for us frequently, do we? But if we follow God, if we're submissive to the authorities, if we're submissive to God, oftentimes that plan unfolds as we are in this place of submission. And I'm telling you, in submission is great power. Amen? So now let's fast forward. Let's move on in the Bible to, to 1 Samuel. It's a good book to read. Saul's appointed the first king. He's not very godly. In fact, God decides that he's not going to be the king anymore. And he sends Samuel to anoint this young ruddy boy named David to be the next king. Well, at that point, a, a really interesting interaction begins to take place between Saul and David. Saul hates David. Saul wants to kill David. Saul tries to kill David multiple times. David's constantly running from Saul. David has opportunities to kill Saul, but he never kills Saul. And his men asked him why. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. David understood submission even to an ungodly, uh, ungodly ruler, didn't he? He said, I cannot touch Saul. He is God's anointed. And then finally, Saul is... Uh, you know, overtaken in the battle with the Philistines and he's mortally wounded and he takes his own life rather than be made sport of by the Philistines. And Jonathan, Saul's son dies and Saul dies and David mourns like crazy for these guys. I am convinced that part of the reason that David succeeded so mightily in his life was he understood submission to God and to human, human authorities. Amen? What do you think? David was a man after God's own heart. I think this is part of the right he was. Then we move on. Let's move on. Now we're going to go to the book of Daniel. I'm, I just want to show you. This theme is all throughout the Bible. I'm just picking out some random examples. So we get to the book of Daniel. And there's three young men that are carried off by the uh, king of Babylon from Jerusalem and now serve in the in the courts of the Babylonians. And there's this crazy ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. And the three men that are serving him, uh, these Jews are, are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar never seems tired of, of doing narcissistic, crazy things. We think we have some narcissistic leaders today. This guy is like the most narcissistic guy ever. So he decides to build a gold image of himself, 90 feet tall. That's about 45 feet to the roof of the church from the floor here. So it's twice as tall as this church. You're getting a kind of a picture of how big this golden statue was of himself. And at the sound of the flute, the horn, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipes, and all kinds of music, everybody, no matter what they're doing, is supposed to drop everything, fall down and worship the image. All right, here we go. We've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They can't worship this image, right? We've talked about this, right? What do you do when your authority wants you to violate, uh, uh, you know, God's law? So these three decide we can't do that. They don't bow. And, of course, they get told on. And they come before Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Listen, boys, I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the sound of the music, you bow to that, that golden image, or you're going to go in the fiery furnace and perish. And then what God can save you? Oh, boy. When you speak like that, directly against God, God's about to do something. Amen? And so... Uh, here's the answer that these guys give to this king. Listen to this. It's from Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. I'm just going to read this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Just such respectful defiance wasn't it? 
We're, we're, we're not going to serve what you're doing. You know, they didn't do a bunch of name calling. They didn't get all bent out of shape. They said, we're just not going to do this. And if you're going to throw us in a fire furnace, throw us in a fire furnace. They're willing to suffer the consequences. So <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar blows a gasket. <laughs> he goes crazy. He tells them, heat up that furnace seven times hotter, boys. Heat it all up. And they get some of the strong warriors and they bind these three young men up and they go to chuck them in the fire, right? They chuck them all through in the fire and the fire is so hot, we're told that it burns up and kills these, uh, these warriors of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's. But then something happens. They don't perish. They're walking around in the fire and there's a fourth one walking with them. I think we have a picture like, so that'll help you see what's going on. There's a fourth walking and there is the son of God and a lot of people think it was Jesus Christ, but well, whatever. And we love to get into that kind of conversation with this thing, you know what I mean? Because it's kind of fun, right? But they're walking. Do you think that affected Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. He goes, okay. Hey guys, come on out. Let's have a talk. He's kind of changing his attitude now. And Nebuchadnezzar was never quite the same. He still had all kinds of problems. I'm not going to say he didn't. But it was just changed that dynamic. And see, we're not guaranteed that we're going to live like this. That's a cool ending to the story. And we like to talk about who the fourth person was. And we like to look at all this and say, well, God is great. But even if those three guys perished, amen, they did what was right. Amen? They followed God and they submitted to the consequences of following God and they're willing to die. And even if they would have died, that would have been a great testimony uh, of, of who God is. And they would have still been radical in their following, having a radical identity in the following of God. And they would have had a transformative influence on that culture. Amen? You see how this works? This is a common theme throughout the Old Testament. And I need to wrap it up, but all Paul does is put that into words. But let me give you this perspective. Let me give you this perspective. There are times when you may not be able to obey your authority because it violates a higher law of God. You're still called to do this with an attitude of submission and with the acknowledgement of their God-given authority over you as respectfully accepting any consequences. So I'm going to jump right to the end here. Um, I did this the first hour too because I have about 10 minutes too much stuff here. We'll get to it next week in, in part two of this message. Um, but I was listening to Hebrews the other day and it just struck me. That oftentimes, when God calls you and I to have a, a, a submissive attitude to maybe a tough authority, I call them authorities can be good, they can be bad, they can be ugly, amen? They, they can be of all those natures. When sometimes you're dealing with the bad and the ugly, it's, it's a disciplining opportunity for you to, to do what's right in spite of what's going on, to be more dependent upon God and, and to work for the best of somebody that you don't necessarily like. And, and I was listening to Hebrews chapter 12 and it just reminded me why God allows some of these kinds of situations to happen in our life. Listen to this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses by people like Joseph, like people like David, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you not grow weary and lose heart. Now hear this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet refused to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as the Father addresses the Son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts him as son. Endure hardship as discipline. 
God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So this recent pandemic we just went through, or are still in, I don't know what, you know, you categorize it however you want. Is that not a disciplining tool? Isn't it? Isn't it an opportunity to, to endure some hardship and stay focused on Jesus Christ and say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this whole thing? When we have a, an authority that doesn't treat us right, isn't it a disciplining tool? That God's saying, will you rely upon me and will you serve that person knowing that you'll never get a lick of recognition from it? Will you still do it because it's the right thing to do? Amen? Is that not a disciplining tool for our good? That's the way this stuff works. I'm telling you, I want you to understand this. Your authorities are going to be good. They're going to be bad. They're going to be ugly. And we're going to talk about how to respond next week. We're going to get to some of the new. And the tendency is to go away here today and try to figure it all out, which you can do. Have fun with that. Okay? Um, with all the various cases you can come up with. I'm going to get more to the nuts and bolts and talk about more specific instances next week. And I don't have all the answers. And some of the people have already come to me and say, what do you do here? I go, what is God telling you to do? I don't know. I don't know either. Amen? This is not a, this is not a, I'm not trying to give you a bunch of 18 rules to do and then everything works out. You have to pray. You have to figure some of this out. You have to know when to submit and when you can't submit because it violates something in, in God's word that, that you just can't. You have to figure that out. Amen? So we'll talk about some of that next week. Um, so for now, we're going to end with a benediction. Would you stand with me, please? And then we got this great song to sing. So um, let, me, let me give you this benediction. Will you bow your heads, please, and receive this? And I'm going to pray right when we're done with this for just a moment. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, I want to pray today that we would be people who understand the power of submission. And I, I thank you that Paul, in a succinct two-sentence way, so to speak, summarized this huge theme of the Bible that's from the beginning to the end of the pages of Scripture, Lord, that the people of God often submit in very ungodly situations and they experience the power of God in just mighty ways. Now, Lord, I, I, I know that if we're not a Christ follower, if we have not received Jesus, you as our Lord and our Savior, then, of course, we're not going to be in this position to even experience any of this. So I want to pray for anyone here today, Lord Jesus, that needs you desperately as their Savior. They need to begin at that point A of just giving their life to you, submitting to you, saying, I have done a mess uh, 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 with my own life and I can't, I, I can't be in control of this any longer and I willingly give my life to you Jesus and I submit to you and, and admit I'm a sinner and I need you Jesus to save my soul and to put me on a different path and so create in me a new heart Jesus a heart that uh, loves you and is submitted to you I pray someone make that decision Jesus to follow you today and begin this life of experiencing the great power of God unleashed in them and Lord I just pray for all of us Forgive us for our willfulness and sometimes our pride couched in Christian terms, Lord, when in reality we can submit. We really can. But we just don't want to have to do that. Create in us this kind of understanding of the power and the place of true submission, Lord, and how mightily you move in the life of such a one and how mightily you use that one usually to influence others around them. 
Help us, Lord, to be such a people. We love you, Jesus, and praise you. And all God's people said,